today's edition of Bible News Radio. I have a great guest today, and I am so looking forward to uh, the interview that we're doing with with Kimberly Ells today. I I want to give you a little bit of a background about about who she is, and I want to tell you a little bit about her book. Her new book is called The Invincible Family: Why the Global Campaign to Crush Motherhood and Fatherhood Can't Win. Yeah. All right. Can you get an amen for that? Because yeah, we don't want it. We don't want the motherhood and fatherhood to be crushed and stuff. Because you know God made male and female, and He made moms and dads. Yeah, He did. So she is the author of this book, The Invincible Family, while the global campaign to crush motherhood and fatherhood can't win. She is a researcher and a writer on family issues, and has worked as a policy advisor for the past nine years. Kimberly has written for The Federalist, Town Hall, LifeSite News, and The Epic Times, The Daily Signal, and other outlets. And she was featured on Tucker Carlson Today in June of 2022. She has also spoken at the United Nations and at other venues across the country. She graduated from Brigham Young University with a degree in English. She's married, and she is the mother of five children. So she knows a little bit about family. She knows a little bit about what the culture is doing to crush motherhood and fatherhood. So I want to uh, welcome you now to enjoy our conversation that we had a little bit earlier. All right. Well, Kimberly, Thank you for being my guest. Hey, you know what? I, I I know that you've been doing a ton of interviews and I just want to thank you and congratulate you on your book. This to me, when I saw your book, I was like, I got to have you on the show because you understand what's going on. And, you know, I think the thing I want people to know, because Bible News Radio, one of the things we do on our show is we look at what's going on in the culture from a biblical perspective, we know that the family, God created it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like under attack. And I think it's under attack in part because God made man, male and female, and he put his image, we're the only creation he made that's in his image, right? Um, and you actually address a lot of this stuff in your book about the family. And so when I saw this, I was like, yay, yay, there's somebody (laughs) out here who gets it. So tell everybody a little bit about your background first as a mom. Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be talking to you. I appreciate that. Um, I have five kids. I have four um, college-age daughters. And then 12 years later, we got a surprise caboose son who's now six years old. And so I was in my old age having a baby, which has been a wonderful adventure. It's really interesting how God works. Um, But uh, so being a mother has been the work of my life. And then in the last 10 years, I've taken up my sword, I guess, in defense of the family itself. Um, I've done some policy work and writing and then um, grew into writing the full book. So that's just kind of a brief background for me. Yeah, I I think, you know, you, I heard you say that the book was kind of a surprise. <laughs> yeah, I didn't set out to write a book. I mean, I've always enjoyed writing, but, but uh, kind of what happened to bring me into the public arena was I discovered a document promoting sexual rights for children online. And I didn't like that. 
you know, at the time I was mother of four girls and that was totally unacceptable to me. And I realized that it was published by International Planned Parenthood Federation. And so that put me on the trail of, I just decided I was going to fight that tooth and nail for the rest of my life if necessary. And um, so I've learned over the past 10 years about how huge the children's sexual rights movement is and how it is globally anchored and globally funded and globally pushed. And so um, I, you know, I did some speaking on that and that was effective, but I thought, you know, I really need to write a book so this can be more broadly available so that I feel like I, I don't want to spread evil in the world. I don't want to spread the bad things, but I feel like we have to expose it enough so that people can see that it, how to fight it, that it is real, and then come up with strategies in their family and in policy of how to fight the, the agenda. Oh, it's very real. It, it is totally real. I, I was a school counselor for three years in elementary school in California. And I can tell you just, just even in that thing in California, and this was almost, almost 20 years ago, feeling old here. <laughs> but, but I mean, just the sexualization there and all the stuff that I was, I was told that I had to promote as a therapist. I'm like, I don't think so. And I actually mm -hmm. said the principal straight a few times that, you know, she was a lot younger than me. I was a little bit older, but I'm like, no, <laughs> but it is, you. it is true. Right. So you, um, um, okay. So for those people who don't understand that there is the United Nations and Planned Parenthood and they're, and they are focused on destroying the family and in particular girls, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, now, I know that they've targeted people who are like 12 years old in particular. Can you address that a little bit? Yes. And before I do, I want to back up just a little bit and tell you what my philosophy on womanhood and motherhood is, and which kind of explains why it's under such attack. So my premise kind of in the book is that motherhood, that children inherently belong to their parents and specifically their mothers. And that's sort of indisputable because they just do. They come out of their bodies and it'd be very hard for somebody to tell a, a mother who has a newborn baby that it doesn't belong to her. It does. And if you look back through the, you know, philosophers of, of through the years, um, like Aristotle said, you know, that the fate of nations depends on the education of the youth, you know, and L Lenin said, give me four years to teach the children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the person who is in the position to teach little children is the most powerful. That's the most powerful position there is because if you put in the minds of little children what is right and what is wrong, what's true and what's untrue, that is powerful for the rest of their lives. And essentially you're laying the groundwork for the beliefs of the whole world. And moms do that one child at a time. And so often as women, we're told, as, especially as moms, that we don't have power as mothers, that it's somehow a, a subposition that's, um, uh, that we're unworthy of that. You know what I mean? That it's, it's a low ranking position, but it's not. It's the highest ranking position. And it's, the, in fact, the position that the, the rest of the world essentially revolves around. And so um, when you see it that way, and when you see mothers as a, as a force for good and as a powerful position in the world, and one that has an edge on influencing the hearts of everyone, mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a child, which then those, these people grow up and to be adults in the world, and that's what populates the world. So when you see it that way, um, then you notice all these attacks coming. And where are they, where are they most of the time aimed? 
at women, yep. at girls. Why is that? It's because they're in the most powerful position. And for a government to somehow commandeer the power that a woman has, they have to get in between that relationship. They either have to wrench the child from the mother or convince the woman that she has better things to do than to raise her own kids. Now, I'm not saying women can't do things other than mothering. I myself do things other than mothering. But mothering must, if you create life, you are responsible for that life. You, you have the opportunity to take care of that life forever. And, um, and so that's not insignificant. So um, one, you talk specifically about uh, at the United Nations, things that are aimed at women and girls. So I'll say a couple of things. So I went to the Commission on the Status of Women in New York City um, a, a couple of times, but um, when I first went there, I noticed that almost, almost every event that was, and this is where women of the, from all over the whole world come, you know, and kind of ingest whatever doctrines are being taught there and then take them back to their, their home countries. Almost every event that I attended was based on the premise of sexual rights, as if women don't have any other concerns in their, in their lives other than sexual rights and, and, and a form of corrupted sexual rights for women. And so that's just, it's pervasive. It's just talked about all the time. And then last year, um, I attended the Commission on the Status of Women remotely because of COVID. And I attended a specific meeting. And in this meeting, the head of UNFPA, well, actually, I don't know if he was the head, he was a major player in UNFPA, which is the United Nations Population Fund. In the course of his, of his presentation, he said that the, the image of all our work, and, and there were other multiple UN agencies and other entities on this call, on this uh, meeting rather, and he said the image or focus of all our work is the 12-year-old girl. And I thought that was revealing. I felt like that was just, they just uncovered their, their agenda. Now, yep. why, is, why is that, right? Why would they be targeting the 12-year-old girl? We could talk forever on that, but just in short, if you convince the 12-year-old girl that it is her special right to have uncommitted sex with boys and men who are not committed to her, you have set her on a path of not only heartache, but possible destruction and a whole lot of pain. And if you convince, if you convince a, a girl that motherhood is not a worthy life goal and is not worth spending your life doing, that can affect generations or pre even prevent generations of, of children from being born. And so there's just this, if they realize that the 12 year old girl is at a very vulnerable position, right? She's just going into puberty. She's beginning to feel attraction to the opposite sex. And so if they can interfere with that, the development of her mind and her soul at that point and tweak it to be in a sense anti-family and anti-mother then they have changed the world yep. and the enemy the devil he knows he ain't stupid people think he is but <laughs> he's not stupid mm -hmm. yeah you know this is so impacting to me personally uh, because the more I, the, I mean, I've been covering the sexual or anarchy, that's what I call it for, for almost 20 years. And even the, the transgender movement, I don't know if you're aware, there's a movie called, um, this, um, this, this, I think it's called disconnected. And he actually, Don Johnson, who's the, the director of that film, he actually says that they are specifically targeting the 12 year old 
girl to transition. Mm. And why is that? Well, it's, it's because of that. If they screw up the hormones with the whole transgender issue, then, mm -hmm. you know, then you can't produce. And he actually mentions Planned Parenthood, which was actually, you know, Margaret Sanger was actually behind the whole birth control initially, which was mm -hmm. something I didn't actually know. Um, this, that whole thing. <laughs> Just, <laughs> but... I also like what you said about exposing this, right? Because the Bible mm -hmm. says that we should expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness, not participate in them, but expose them. Um, mm -hmm. And you actually have a chapter in your book called The Artificial Mother, which I think is interesting um, and because, well, because they're trying to kill mothers, you know, they're trying to destroy motherhood by killing out kids. And, and the whole sexual stuff. But at the same time, I actually saw something not too long ago about them using artificial wombs to create babies. And I don't know if it was mm -hmm. true or not. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. So is that real or? Yes. And, and okay. it is real. I don't believe that that's going to be widely successful, but the right. thing is it, it harkens back to, I address in the book, the writings of early feminist Shalomath Firestone. She wrote in the 70s. And one of the things she said is that we have to uh, separate, we have to destroy, she says, okay, she explains it this way. She says, if a mother uh, endures a nine-month pregnancy, when the baby is born, she's going to feel that it belongs to her. And in her quotes, her words, quote, we want to destroy this possessiveness. So, and why, and she said the reason why. She said, because for socialist, uh, for a socialist society to really be accepted and to flourish, there has to be collectivism rather than privatization. And so if you'll notice, if a mother thinks that a baby belongs to her, that's private, that's privatization. And so, um, and that springs from our very bodies. God, does, I believe God designed it that way. Um, so that a, a baby would belong to its mother. The belonging is the very purpose of it and right. the production of, of love, but that kind of comes along with it. And so um, so she, she, from an early stage, Shalamath Firestone was explaining that the whole goal is to sever the special relationship between mothers and children. That's that's the thing that's the great obstacle, she said, to pushing forward with socialist society. And, and uh, so one of her objectives for humanity was to separate childbearing from women. And uh, she said that either either women should be offered basically fair compensation for bearing children. So then bearing children becomes not a labor of love, but a labor for money, which we're seeing that on some level, or that artificial means will need to be created. And at the time, that seemed sort of ridiculous, probably. Um, but I've seen many instances, and I address them briefly in the book, of artificial wombs, and there's been a new one recently, I think, that you've seen. And yeah. people are thinking people are thinking it's a great idea. Even when maybe you saw this recently, someone was advocating for using brain-dead brain women to gestate babies <laughs> because they're not doing anything else, so let's use their wombs. So uh, it, it's just so, in my opinion, misogynistic and attacks the very essence of, of motherhood. And uh, uh, so I think we'll continue to see efforts to separate motherhood from women. I I did not know that. I didn't know what you just said. But that's just like, that's just so depraved, you know? 
It should be obvious, right? It should right. be obvious that that's so, not right. So part of your book, though, too, your title here is Why the Global Campaign to Crush Motherhood and Fatherhood Can't Win. So talk a little bit mm -hmm. to me about the fathers in this, because as you know, I think that, um, I mean, I've been married almost 31 years. I don't have kids. I wasn't able to have children, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but fatherhood is vital to parent, you know, a child. And, you know, we have the sexual anarchy movement out there that's mm -hmm. trying to destroy fathers and mothers. So how does your book address the issues of fathers too? <clears throat> yes, I have a whole, I have a chapter in the book called The Goodness of Men which I feel like men are so often given the short end of the stick these days. They it's are. treated like, you know, foolish idiots or all they want is sex or, or you know, that kind of these stereotypes. And, and uh, but men, men are good. <laughs> Not all men, but men are good and women are good. And, and uh, so it, what I talk in the, about in the book is the, the needed cooperation of men and women, like men and women's bodies inherently are made to be complementary. And I think that reflects a deeper comp complementarity of man and woman, and that they're made not to co compete with each other, but to cooperate. Right. And and that it works out well if if you just accept that. And and if we stop trying to have men be more like women or have women be more like men, and just accept the fact that they have beautiful gifts that are unique that they bring to the table, that then bless the lives of the children that they have. And so, uh, but but aside from that, um, you know, I talk about in the book, it, and it's well known now that people, there's so much data out there about fatherlessness. If there's not a father in the home, children are much more likely to engage in early sexual conduct. They're more likely to go to prison. They're more likely to have eating disorders. And the list goes on and on and on. So and you can, you can ask why. There's probably a lot of reasons why. It's almost magical. But the influence of a father as a grounding figure and as a protector and as a provider is vital. And, yeah. you know, women, young women today, especially pop figures, likes to like to tell girls and women that they don't need a man. Well, you do. You do. You need a man to simply create a baby. And yeah. then it works out best if the man, the people, the two people who create the child work together to raise the child. And to say that you don't need a man is dismissing the value and uniqueness of, of masculinity and manhood. And that's just unwise. That's so true. I will tell you that I was raised by a mother who basically told me, well, first, first of all, she didn't want me. That was one thing. But she got stuck with me. Lucky her. <laughs> uh, but. But, you know, she raised me to, quote, not depend on a man, right? You know, mm -hmm. she was married three times, by the way, mm -hmm. um, and divorced twice. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, she did really good with men. Um, but I, I have a great husband. I, I just love my man. He's He irritates me sometimes. I want to pop him upside the head a couple, you know, occasionally. <laughs> but, you know, after 31 year, years of marriage, it's like, you know, you know, but I think, women especially our younger generation like what you're saying is they they been taught we don't need a man but I don't know about you but I personally you know if I have somebody disrespecting me as a woman I want my husband there to punch the other guy in the face you know just to protect mm -hmm. me or to push him back or to say don't you ever say that again or you know to man up and, and do that I think women um we it, it goes to me, goes to the issues of our heart, right? Mm -hmm. Because our hearts, if they're hard, 
which is basically the fruit of everything you're writing about, these other people have very hard work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, then we don't care about that. But if you've ever, you, you, I know this is kind of off topic of your book, but I remember years ago, there was this viral video on YouTube or Facebook or someplace. And in there, it was a man who was in an elevator with a puppy and he was beating the crap out of this puppy. Hmm. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I saw that, I was like, I just want to beat this by, I want to strangle this person for beating up this puppy. <clears throat> and yet there's very little outrage about the abortion issue. You know, mm -hmm. how, much, how much worse is it to rip a baby out of a womb um, and actually in some cases have men you know, advocate for that, but, but it comes down to the money, like you were talking about earlier, um, our hearts have to be changed, you know, towards mm -hmm. that. And you have, you have a Proverbs 31 woman's heart. And I appreciate that about you. Yeah. With, to harden women's hearts against their own children is I think one of the worst things that we can do for the young women of the world. Um, yep. that's, that's the opposite of what women were, were born for women were born for a lot of great deeds and one of them is motherhood and that's unique to her only she can do it men can't do it again there's been efforts to put wombs into men sorry that's not going to work on a massive level it's just not going to and we need to value women's ability not only to produce life but to nurture it and to to see that as a a beautiful gift not something that we should try to suppress or stop it's a beautiful thing. It's it's what makes life worth living. It makes what makes childhood beautiful for most, most kids. I do want to say, I, I understand it. I call the book The Invincible Family. And by that, I don't mean that I think somehow family life is just continual roses. Like family life is very difficult. And I don't, I, and my message is not that we can somehow remain invincible from any bad things happening to our families or even from cultural influences. But what I mean is that the family is primary, right? And it ex it existed before the state. It will outlast the state. It was the thing that will just keep coming back. And um, even if even if a marriage crumbles, which sometimes they do, you don't become an ex-parent to your children. Your children are always yours. The family is always intact in that in that way. And so the family will rise again always and because it's the most powerful and it's inherent as, as designed brilliantly by, by God. Also in the book, I don't use for the most part religious arguments. I personally am a religious person. And of course I'm talking to you in, in those terms, but I felt like it was important in the book to present the arguments um, separate from religious arguments, just because I feel like some people aren't, mm -hmm. aren't ready for that. And I feel like we have to be able to argue in the public school non-religiously. So, so the book is largely non-religious, although there's a couple nods to, to God in there. And, and I deeply believe in, in God myself. But anyway, just so that people know what to expect in the book. It's not a religious text. Um, it's based on natural truth. Honestly, between you and me, I think most Christian books suck. I mean, <laughs> I, and, and I'm, I say this as somebody who's hosted this show for almost 20 years and as a mm -hmm. marriage and family therapist, I think most, the best research is actually more like yours. I mean, it's so, that, that's probably yeah, that's, you know, accolades <laughs> of the American Association of Christian Counselors, but I don't care. 
<laughs> no, that's very honest. And, and I think in many cases, it's a it's a fair assessment. And it's so I think we I think we need to show up to the table with arguments that uh, will work across the board. So yeah. So can can you go five more minutes? Yeah, sure. Okay, I just want to make sure because I know our half hour is up. I just want to respect your time. But Thank I do you. want to ask your um, this, this uh, about the pedophile movement. Right. Mm -hmm. So I know that part of this whole sexualization of children is, you know, to to ultimately lower the age of consent for sex, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Gamblin, North mm -hmm. American Man Boy Love Association, they used to have a saying sex before eight or it was too late. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if they've lowered that now, but you know, the the minor attractive person lingo, they've changed all that. Um, what is it that you've seen? about that and that you could give us some help with you know as far as to combat this because this is so prominent especially on twitter if you go to libs mm -hmm. of tiktok you're seeing all this stuff constantly and mm -hmm. i've been jumping up and down about it for 20 years almost and it's like now people just seem to be waking up finally and i'm like okay mm -hmm. <laughs> so teach us yeah so just in brief i actually have an article coming out about this just in the next week hopefully about, about how the children's rights movement has been largely hijacked and influenced by the pedophile movement. And it actually took me a long time to see that. I Just a, a couple of years ago, I ran across a video online of these two pedophiles, open pedophiles who were being interviewed on uh, TV and uh, British TV. And as I listened, they, talk, they talked about what the planks of their agenda were. And I realized after being at the United Nations and being exposed to things there and also International Planned Parenthood, they are the same. They are the same. And we need to face that. And we need to ask ourselves as a society if we are ready and willing to embrace sex for children. Most parents are not. And that's a very hopeful thing. I think there's this huge effort to sexualize children that's massive, that is the last part of my book, those multiple chapters are all about that. But I also am encouraged that the parents of the world, for the most part, are not going along with this. They're not okay with this. And um, But the fact is, even, even the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is the major children's rights document produced by the United Nations that's supposed to guide uh, child policy for the whole world, um, is infected with children's sexual rhetoric. And another thing that's coming, that is I mentioned in the book and that's coming out in this article is that the man who wrote the implementation handbook for the Convention on the Rights of the Child for the whole world, he was convicted of child rape. I mean, hello, how can it be more obvious? Like the, the man who wrote the handbook that goes along with this major UN document is a, is a convicted pedophile. What does that tell us? I think some people in the children's rights movement are, are noble and doing good things, but this tells us that there are some very nefarious people who are at work, who are trying to use the children's rights movement, which is a noble and valid movement, to, to put forward sexual rights for children. And we just simply can't allow that. We, we will not. I think the parents of the world we're seeing will not. Yeah, healthy parents of the world. Right. Unfortunately, that doesn't surprise me. I wish it did, but it doesn't. <laughs> Right. It, it really doesn't. All right. So Kimberly L's, your website is? It's Invincible Family. 
com. And I would love it if, if people would follow me on Twitter. It's just my name, Kimberly Els. And really, I just I just want to end with a hopeful message that the family truly is invincible. It Because God designed it and it's inherent in our anatomy, it can't be totally crushed. Even in, you know, communist China or other places where they've tried to do these things, the family is still kicking and it yeah. will survive. And as we see our families as individual cells of kind of resistance in this war, uh, we have power beyond what I think, what we think we have. We feel as parents kind of, um, and I think validly so, attacked and worried for our children. But if we take conscious action to teach in our homes, we can we can fortify our children to a very large degree. And uh, we can we can live the truth even when the rest of the world isn't. Right. Well, it has been my blessing to talk to you. And everybody, I want you to remember to pray for Kimberly, pray that God protects her as she goes out and talks about her book, The Invincible Family, why the global campaign to crush motherhood and fatherhood can't win because she's on the right side here, people. Just so you know, remember, pray for her in Jesus' name and uh, get the book, okay? Go over there, go to invinciblefamily.com. Also sign up for her email list and follow her on Twitter. Uh, I did, just so you know. <laughs> that out and thank you so so much i so appreciate it yeah absolutely thank you for enjoying our interview with kimberly ells today i want to make sure that you know that you can go to amazon.com you can get the book and also i want to remind you that we have a new heart tug international mobile app it's available on google play and also the ios apple platform go over if you have not yet downloaded our app Go download our app today. When you download it, it will get on your phone. You'll be able to open it up. And in there, you will see a welcome video from me. And you all you got to do is watch that welcome video. And it will tell you how to navigate the app, some of the special things that are inside our app, including behind-the-scenes exclusives. And we have a heart tug moment every day with me. That's a short, under five-minute, usually about three minutes, um, encouragement. Um, we also have a link to all of our previous programs in there. We have uh, information on Bible studies, my Substack blog that I'm writing, legacy interviews. We got some of Randall's music. We have access to our books. We have an in-app Bible, and we have an easy way to donate to Heart Tug International should you feel led to do that as well. So don't forget, we have a brand new Heart Tug International mobile app available and for those of you who already have it if you would be so kind as to go and rate it in either the google play store or the ios store that would that would be awesome uh, we need to get some ratings in there so I, I think more people will see it if we do that so i uh, just want to thank you all again for tuning into the show share it out with a friend and remember as i always say be bold stand up and go with god because he loves you <laughs>